Hi friends and welcome to Annie's Pink Chair where we invite presence, we inspire purpose and ignite passion into the hearts of people to spread God's love throughout the world. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm already fired up. I got someone in the studio right now that's already been here once before. My nickname for her, can I say it? Yes. <laughs> is Big Red because she is a powerhouse. My dear friend, longtime friend of I think 15 years now, Samantha Summers Rebus is in the studio today. And I'm so excited for her to share about her wonderful life-changing story. You guys cannot miss this. You are going to get a tear going down your face. So you need the tissue box. Let me welcome my friend, Sammy. Hi, Sammy. Hi, Annie. It's so good to have you here. I'm so excited to be back. <laughs> uh, I, I just couldn't imagine not doing another show with you because the first one was so powerful. Thank you. And there's some people out there that might not understand who you are and where you come from. And to know that we're sisters because you are doing amazing work right now in our community and across the country, not just our community here. And I want people to know who you are. First of all, we need to know your background. Why are you doing what you do? Tell us the reason for your inspiration to do what you do right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm a sex industry survivor. I shared a little bit about my story last time, but we'll do a little refresher. Yeah, let's do a recap and more intent detail. Yes. How yeah. did it all start? So my father passed away when I was 16. My mom started working as a more than full-time hours housekeeper. Yeah. Um, and so, and she took the bus. So she worked like a 10-hour day and then like an hour and a half to come home on the bus, an hour and a half to get there to work. Um, so it was kind of like I lost both of my parents at once. How old were you? I was 16 okay. when my dad passed. You were a teenager. Yeah. So your emotions are like so fragile when you're a teenager because yeah. your hormones are raging. Yes. And you're trying to figure out who you are, what you are, you know. Um, and you guys were living in California. What part of California? I lived in uh, Sherman Oaks, California. So that's not a cheap area. No. We were on Section 8, though. Okay. So... <laughs> Well, that's not too bad. <laughs> no. But. So we lived when I was, I was born in Fresno, California. We lived in Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, guys. I used to run around the house with a cowboy hat and and scream out <laughs> "Yeehaw" all day long. Uh, so born in born in Fresno, California. Moved over to Oklahoma City, and then when I was about four and a half, we moved to Hollywood, California. I lived on Hollywood Boulevard and St. Andrews, which is like a block off of Western. So it was wow. a really, really bad area. I know, but I like that area. Now it's nice. Yeah. You know, it's totally different now. There's like uh, high-rise condos there. Right. It's like super nice. Yeah, I tried to take my daughter there to show her how I grew up. And she was like, this is really nice. And I'm like, no, you have no this, idea. This isn't what it was. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. And then my dad got us on section eight and moved us out to, uh, Sherman Oaks, California. And your dad was in the service. Yeah. My dad was a Korean war vet. Mm -hmm. He had served in the air force and in the army had been a military police officer. Um, my mom was from Guatemala. Yeah. Yep. And she became a citizen once she was here. So your dad, was he, was he a Italian? What was he? Was he German? My father was Irish, English, and German. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah. I, yeah. 
So I'm Irish, English, German, how, and Guatemalan. How did he meet your mom? They met, I think he was like the manager of an apartment complex that her and her brothers were living at. And, and if um, anyone doesn't know your mother, her mother's name was Amanda. Bless yeah, her heart. Yeah. She's with Jesus now, but yes. tiny little four, short. All four foot eight of her. She was a firecracker. Yes. Like, yes. For sure. I can hear her voice in my head, actually. Yeah. I can yeah. hear her. She loved you very much. I loved her too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So we lived in Sherman Oaks, California. Um, my father passes away. My mom starts working long hours. And then I had a neighbor that worked at an all nude strip club and I saw her saving so much money and she was, she had bought her car cash and she was like, I'm going to buy a house cash. And I was like, was she pretty? She was, she Unbelievable was super that she was a cute, dancer. super cute. And I just saw her like, you know, when she got her boob job and like, you know, she was paying for all these things, high ticketed things. Back then, no one got that, right? No, no. And she's paying with for all these high ticketed things with straight cash. And so I was like, wow, you know, how are you doing this? And, you know, when I turned 18, she had she had said, hey, you can you can come and audition at the strip club and see if you want to come work also. And she's like, you know, it'll be a great way for you to pay for college right. and try and buy you and your mom a house right. and buy yourself a car. And and she knew you were 18, though. Yeah. Yeah. So isn't that amazing that she didn't ask you prior to the 18 age? No. Mm-mm. I'm no. just wondering why. Yeah. She there was no like grooming or anything. Yeah. It was so just she like was just, she was just doing her own thing. I would have done the same. Yeah, thing. Yeah. And she's thinking, oh, I'm going to help you. Let out. me help. You her, know, yeah. yeah, it's it. There was no like ill intent behind it and you're not ugly and she's looking at you going girl you could you can make money doing this help your mom out yeah yeah and so i started working um i always like to include that it was an all nude strip club because i feel there's another level of dignity that's stripped away from you totally and um a lot of clubs especially here i worked in north hollywood california but here, I know that there's just a lot of like topless right. um, strip clubs. And so that's not the case. Was it where behind glass? At. No. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it was. Because in Minnesota, we had, um, when I was a stripper mm-hmm. in Minnesota, we had clubs in St. Paul that were behind glass. Yeah. They were not allowed to touch us if we yeah. went totally nude. Yeah. And it was kind of nasty because you had to touch the glass to get close to the customer. Yeah. Yeah. But wow, this is like, this is like X-rated television right now. <laughs> You guys need to put a disclaimer on this yeah, before disclaimer you air, on this, a triple X show right here. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I there was a place within North Hollywood that was kind of like that. The girls only modeled like lingerie and you were behind a glass yes. and they had to put money Likes. in and then there yeah. would be like a thing that would come up and, and would you show all of a sudden you can see the girl. Everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but the girls didn't make that much money in those places. And so... Um, I remember the dollar. They used to give us like they silver were coins dollars that you would put yeah, in or the $2 little dollars. Uh-huh, Susan uh-huh. B. Anthony's. I'm like, what yeah. is this? Yeah. So I worked there. I um, also sold myself to my female clientele okay, while I was hold there. On. You said I worked there. I want to go back on. What was the first day like? Do you remember? It? Oh yeah. What happened? I remember, um, going on stage for the first time. And, you know, the law tells you you're an adult. You're 18. You're an adult, right? And so you're thinking, I am an adult and this is my body and I can do whatever I want with it. And 
this is empowering and you know, I'm in control. And I didn't feel any of that when I went on stage for the first time. I just remember seeing a bunch of eyeballs glaring at me and I was white knuckling that pole. Yeah. Like white knuckling it. I held on so tight that the next day I remember my shoulders and my arms hurting so bad right. from like holding on to the to the poles so tight because I was I was scared yeah. and I was nervous and I thought that it was going to feel different than what it actually did when I was up there. And I remember my first dance that I did and I remember the guy telling me you must be new. And I was like, I am. And he was like, yeah, I can tell. And I didn't know how to take that. You right, know, right. I, I was like, is this a good thing? Is this exactly. a bad thing? Cause you're learning the yeah. art of manipulation, right. And right. the art of speaking and you have to read somebody really quick mm-hmm, to see mm-hmm. like, am I going to make money off of them? Are right. they going to hurt me? Right. What's going to happen in this instance? And so I was trying to really hone that skill. And so I I just stayed quiet because I was just trying to read the situation. Um, And I didn't know if, you know, that was something that was exciting to him. And I'm thinking if it is, then he's going to buy more dances and I'm going to make more money. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I remember that day very vividly. That's something that I've asked God to not let me forget so that I don't serve others without any empathy or grace or mercy. I think it's important to remember what God pulled me out of so that I can serve others with love and kindness and excellence. So what did he mean by, I can tell you're new? I think- What were you doing? (laughs) Like, (laughs) were you staying there too long or? I think what happened was that I hadn't really mastered the art of you know, really doing the lap dances. I remember when I got out of that dance, I looked for my friend that was my neighbor and I was like, Hey, this guy said this to me, you know, can you show me like what you do when you go back there? And she was like, Oh yeah. And then she took me back there and she gave me a lap dance to show me what she does. And it was totally different than what I had just done. So I was like, okay, now I see what he was talking about. I am going to ask you a, a question I've never asked you. Sure. And I hope I'm not pushing too deep. Oh, no, you're fine. But when you went in the back to do a lap dance, was it more than a lap dance? No. Not with my male clientele. With my female clientele, I felt like I could push that boundary. Yeah. I had been raised Catholic. Yeah. And a really stringent Catholicism. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's no grace. It's just works, works, works. And so I felt like I could, I felt like I was far from God, Mm -hmm. but if I didn't sleep with the male clientele, maybe I would still be able to come back to God is what I had thought, right? I didn't know the Bible, but I'm thinking that much. And I, I, I am grateful, even if, if it was an erroneous thought or, you know, erroneous theology, like it did really help me to not go that extra step that I don't think I would have survived. Right. Um, had I, had I not held on to the possibility of trying to 
come back to God because I, I knew I was far and, but I knew eventually I'd want to come back. And I knew in my mind, like, I, I don't want to go to hell, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so you had the fear of God in you somehow. That, I did. To me, that was a gift. It wasn't like a hundred percent there, know, but, I mean, it, but it was somewhat there. I, totally. And so, yeah, I only sold myself to my female clientele and, um, I did do a lot of, uh, S and M stuff. Yes. So I had clients, uh, for okay. that, which was got to stop easier. because our audience that are, that are watching right now and are listening mm -hmm. for any virgin ears out there that might not understand what is S and M. So it's more like dominatrix stuff. Mm -hmm. It's literally, you're being hired to abuse somebody, right? Um, physically and verbally and emotionally. And again, I sat in a space of like thinking that that was empowering right. and that I was in control. And it was, I mean, once I got out and I looked back at it, I felt horrible because you're basically taking advantage of somebody's vulnerability and the vulnerability is their mental health. Right. You know, and so you're making money on that. Right. And you're, you're making money. It sounds like off their trauma. You are. Yeah. I mean, I had men Dude. that were asking if they could call me mommy and they wanted me to, you know, just physically abuse them. And yeah, you could see the trauma in many of the men at the time I was, I would say that I didn't see it like that because in my mind, I was in survival mode and I was right. just trying not to get raped or pinned down or assaulted or groped. Right. Um, and so in my mind, I was thinking I was in control of the situation and making money like that seemed like a better option than, you know, doing lap dances and potentially being assaulted or groped. One time, a couple of times I actually got followed home. Um, I had somebody walking behind me that masturbated and Ugh. I didn't notice. Um, and so, you know, I feel bad bringing up those instances because I feel like in comparison to like your story and uh, no, our no, other no, survivor no, 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 no. sister stories, like it's not, you know, it's not that it's not bad like what i hear what you guys went through but i no, just Sammy, remember you you yeah Go i just ahead. remember not feeling safe and feeling feeling violated yeah and there were other instances that happened as well and at the time you're just trying to like yeah. get through them and survive them and you feel like this is normal you know yeah. like i put myself in this situation yeah. so yeah it was definitely a time of um, being in a, being mm. in a space that I thought that I was, thank you, that I thought that I was ready for. And I, I really wasn't, you know, I was a child. I mean, my daughter right now is 22. And I remember when she turned 18, I had a bad year that year mentally because I was hoping and praying that she wouldn't go down the same road yeah. that I did. And it, my trauma I was trying not to impose my trauma on her. And I just remember looking at her and thinking, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that I was working in an all nude strip club, selling my body day after day and thinking that I was an adult right. and looking at Valerie and I'm like, 
sometimes she's not making the best life decisions. Like, I wish I would have had somebody there, like some type of support system to say, hey, this is not a good idea. Or, hey, these are your other options. These are other things that you could do to possibly make money. T tell me about that trauma with your dad dying. Do you think that contributed to your decisions and also the fear yeah. of not being able to live and take care of your mom? Yeah. Um, my dad had done a really good job of being a protector, but on the same token, I feel like he had a lot of unprocessed trauma himself. Mm -hmm. And... I remember him always telling me from a young age, you know, if I if something happens to me or if I die, you're going to be the man of the house. Ugh. And I just remember thinking like, but I'm not a man. Like, but it's all it's all he had. And yeah, I was his only well, I was right. his only child with my mom. I have three other um half siblings right. from his previous marriages, but yeah, I was all my mom was going to have. And so I understood what he was saying, but now looking back at that, I'm like, that is a really huge, unreasonable, not biblical burden that you put on me. Yeah. You know, and so that's why I was like but willing did he to know try any better. Yeah, he didn't know any better. That's why I was so you know, set on like tr trying to figure it out, you know. And my father was very strict yes. while I was growing up. Because he's probably too, because he was in the Air Force. Yeah. So <laughs> super strict. I wasn't allowed to play around in the streets. I wasn't allowed to like be a street kid. You know, I'd look out the window and I'd look at all the kids like playing out there. And I would, I would, I would just wish that I could be out there with them. But, right. um, so yeah. So when he passed, I mean, two weeks later, I was clubbing, drinking, doing drugs. I mean, I I felt like I had a newfound freedom. Yeah, but at the same time, Sammy, two weeks after he died. Yeah, yeah. Because Isn't he was that a so, reaction? Yeah, he, he was so strict that I just felt like chains had been broken off. Do, do, do you and I wanted to try everything. <laughs> do you miss him? I miss... Um, I miss what he could have been, the thought of what a healthy father could have been. Um, I would say that dealing and going through his death and not being not being a, a Christian was different than with my mom passing, which is going to be now in, you know, uh, next month. That'll be two years. Yeah, we're both orphans. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Once my mom passed away, I was like, wow, this, I feel like an orphan. So it, it felt different processing his death yeah. as a non-Christian versus processing my mom's mm. death as a Christian. I would say that I miss my mom more yeah. um, than I miss my dad because my mom was not emotionally or physically abrasive as he was, you know? And so yeah, I miss the possibilities of what could have been. You know, I look at healthy Christian men right. that are in my life now that are like father figures. Right. Um, and so I, I I sometimes feel like, dang, like, I wish I could have had that, you know? Yeah. But not, I don't let it consume me to where it, like, you get bitter about it or right. you get you re resentful about it. Right. So 
after you got that first initial day, yeah, and did it seem like every day was different when you worked in the club? Did you come in stronger every day, or can I just be honest, disassociative? Oh yeah, you learn real fast how to. And, and what do we? Well, how do we tell people what that means? Because it's so many different things we could describe it as. I mean, yeah, you you really do compartmentalize. It it is a job where you're becoming a master manipulator. Yes, and but you. Change your personality. Yes. And you do not become, You're you are acting. not the same person. Yeah. Off, off the as record. As soon as you hit that carpet. Yep. Ding. Like, it's like this, I always think of uh, that Stepford Wife movie with Nicole Kidman and her pushing the grocery cart in the grocery store. And she looks all like perfect and she's waving. And I, I always associate it to that. Like every time my stiletto hit that carpet coming out of the locker room, it was like, ding. You know, you just, you're on and that's it. Yeah. And that in itself, to me, sounds like trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you, like, as, let's say, a sex industry survivor or someone in that light walk on that stage, right? Mm -hmm. And you're not, you don't know God at that point. Mm -mm. And your your dad died and you're walking on that stage. What What's going through your mind? And I'm talking about after you got used to it. Yeah, there were nights where I just felt so empty and used and gross, like you couldn't shower enough. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it's the, the lap dances are contact. Right. And so sometimes... Dude, it's just like turning a trick. Let's keep it, it at really 100. Is. It Dude, really it, is. It, I don't think it has... I'm not trying to belittle anyone's trauma or selling their body. But when you walk on a stage or on a person's lap, you are selling your, your body. body. Yeah. And you are initially selling sex. Yeah. And if you're allowing someone yeah. to touch you yeah, and you're touching them, yeah, whether there is, you know, we don't want to say what that is. Yeah. But, yeah. I so mean, you, you, to me, you're in the same club. Yeah. And, I had that hard reality given to me when I was in the locker room one day because I remember, gosh, I was so young and mouthy and just obnoxious. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, at least I'm like, I'm not like them hoes out on the street. I'm not a hoe. And I remember this girl grabbed me by the arm and whipped me around so fast she was older than me. She, I remember she was in her 30s and I was 18. And she said, girl, she was like, the last time I checked, she's like, you sell your body to make money. She's like, you a hoe. And I was like, it, I, I wasn't even physically scared of her. It was like what she had said to me. I was like, oh my God, you're trying to, come to that realization, you know? And so when people try to tell me that, you know, being in the porn industry or working in a strip club or webcamming, you know, uh, th those are safe environments to be in. Those are easy to work in. It's not really that hard. We need to legalize this, blah, 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 blah. To me, I'm like, I... I, I I was followed home. I there were times when I had to fight off guys. There I saw other girls get assaulted. I saw other girls, you know, be followed home and be right. raped. And 
for me, it's like there were pimps, right, mm -hmm. in the strip clubs, like. And one of their favorite spots to hang out. Yes, and, <laughs> and so I was just like, I don't understand why people think that that's something that should be normalized, legalized. Yeah. That it's it's more safe. It's it's not a safe environment. And looking back, because this year I'll be forty four years old, and looking back to being eighteen, I, I mean, I had no business being in there. I was a child. Just because the law no, you says were. that you're an adult, no. that you're you, not psychologically no, your brain does not fully form. developed. Not until tw about 25, might even be higher. They don't really even really know now. And, you know, just to get on that, I'm so surprised because guess what? We have about a minute left. See how oh. fast that went? <laughs> because I want to talk about, can you come back? Yeah. Okay. Because I want to talk about how you got out, what really changed your life. But mm. then I want to talk about what you just said legalizing, mm -hmm. legalizing, they call it sex work. Let's just call it paid rape, legalizing paid rape, what that looks like. So I want to thank you. So we'll see you in a little bit. Yes. And uh, friends, you do not want to miss part two because Sammy's going to break down some things that you might not know and things that are currently going on right now. And also we're going to hear the wonderful things she's doing now with her organization and another organization. And we're so excited to share that with you. So we will see you next time on Annie's Pink Chair. Hi, friends. It's Annie Lobert from Annie's Pink Chair. And I am actually on location at our nonprofit ministry called The Destiny House. And do you feel and see the presence that's going on here, the peace, the calmness, the comfort, the beautiful grass, the trees. This is what each woman comes to when she enters our Destiny House program for sex trafficking victims. Would you please consider partnering with us monthly or just send us a one-time donation? Just go to our website at hookersforjesus.net and click on donate and listen, your donation goes to a good cause and it's tax deductible. Thank you so much. Hi friends. Let me read you part of my book about my story, Becoming a Trafficking Victim in Las Vegas. The Skyway Lounge in downtown Minneapolis was a happening strip joint. Slick businessmen in fancy suits strolled in for lunch and after work. Ties loosened, money rolling, the tips were great, the best in the area. And dancers lined up to work at this place. I was lucky to be a regular. One Saturday night, I was dancing to Prince's Kiss, giving some special customers a little extra glimpse of skin when in walked a man who caught my attention. The bright lights illuminating the catwalk stage couldn't distract me from how gorgeous he was. A cross between young Billy D. Williams and Denzel Washington, he wore a gray tweed suit and pointy loafers. He walked confidently, light and smooth, his jerry curl pulled back in a sleek ponytail. My friends, this is my book, Fallen Out of the Sex Industry and Into the Arms of the Savior. And this is the story of me being turned into a sex trafficking slave in Minneapolis, Hawaii, and Las Vegas, my final destination. This teaches you about trafficking and how it can happen in your own backyard. You think it can't happen to you? Think it can't happen to your girlfriend or your child? 
your granddaughter, your niece, even your nephew? It can, my friends. If you're interested in this, this it's going to help you learn about this, but it's also going to give you a call to the charge. You can simply go to pinkchair.org, click on the book to purchase it. You can help us help others get out of trafficking. Thank you so much. (music) 